Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And today, it's a very special episode. As a longtime friend of the show, a renowned investor and crypto educator, we've got Mark Yusko in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how central banks are shifting now as the world is turning to a digital age. We discuss how ISO standards are coming into effect during these next couple of months and how this could affect many of our favorite tokens. A Ripple settlement seems unlikely, but we got some breaking news yesterday as Ripple's payment product is expanding into 27 African corridors. We also have HSBC tokenizing assets with XRPL. This is an exciting time to be a crypto investor. And with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcasts, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got a bunch of exciting news prepared. But first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Abs, I always feel great, especially when you get to the we are live because we are live. It is a great time to be alive. Crypto markets warming up. We got Yosko in the house. I'm so excited. Mario, great to see you too. I can't wait to hop into it. I'll leave it. To, oh, by the way, let me just say it like I always do. Good morning to all the word maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys for showing up every single day. It's going to pay off, I promise. And we got some exciting news to talk about, Mario. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about XRP. But adoption overall, the narrative has done a complete 180. So it's such an exciting time to be in the market. How are you feeling this morning? And thanks for being here, Mario. Absolutely. Good morning. I'm feeling amazing. Abs. hope everybody out there is doing great. It's great to have Mark back on the show. And although we're getting to winter in the East Coast, but it feels like we're getting to to spring and summer in, in crypto. So that's exciting. Yeah, baby. Absolutely, Mark. And we've been showing the psychology of the market chart throughout the week. And the one thing you can do right now is copy and paste that on top of the Bitcoin. We've left the depression. We've left the fear and we're entering the hopium phase. So it's a perfect time to have you back on the program. First of all, how are you feeling this morning and what's on your mind? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me. I, I always uh, enjoy our time together. And 
You know, it is funny. I do, I do own another shirt, but we always seem to do this on Wednesdays. So I'm wearing my wear pink Wednesdays for brain tumor awareness. But um, look, I, I'm, I'm doing great for, for lots of reasons. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, truly blessed. You know, everything that matters in life truly matters in life is, is great. Uh, feeling good. Uh, family's good. You know, business can always be better, right? It's, it's tough fundraising environment out there. Probably the toughest I've seen in 35 years. People are scared. And I get why they're scared. I mean, the last bear market was, was brutal, but you know, it's funny. Somebody, I don't know who it was, some big town said, oh, it's Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley. You know, we definitely think crypto winners ended. My guys, crypto winner ended two years ago, two years ago, right? I mean, well, 18 months ago, 18 months ago, sorry, 18 months ago. So June of 22 was the end of crypto winner. Now people say, oh, but we didn't make the low until literally today. Today is the one year anniversary of, of the low uh, after yesterday was the day that FTX froze uh, payments and, and the world collapsed from like 22 down to 15.9 on, on Bitcoin. People thought it was going to zero. Didn't go to zero. It's funny how that works. Didn't go to zero. Um, technology didn't go away. And uh, but it's the, it, that that little Hurricane Sam, as I like to refer to it. That was like a spring squall. It doesn't happen very often. And it was literally a storm. And what I talk about is in North Carolina, where I live, every 15 years or so in March, we'll get what's called a snowacane. And it's literally a nor'easter that sits off the coast and just spins. And it'll drop a couple feet of snow. We don't get snow, and, but, but it's a snowacane, right? And it's not supposed to happen because it's not winter anymore. It's spring. But that's kind of what happened in November of 22. So even though the bear market, I believe, ended in June of, of 22, uh, we got this, this Hurricane Sam in November. Since then, Bitcoin's up 100%. A number of other tokens are up more than that. Ether, Ether, Ethereum's not quite, but that there's different reasons for that. But the reality is we're already out of crypto spring, right? Which ended this past June. Now we're in crypto summer. Well, what's crypto summer? Crypto summer is a slow and steady rise back toward fair value. Crypto fall is when the fun happens. So that's June of next year, post having into the following June. And that's where we get the parabolic, crazy blow off top. And it probably won't be as crazy this time Mark, I got to ask a question. You're yeah. talking about a blow off top and we've been anticipating this for quite a while. First of all, we got 257 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. A special thank you to Mark for making time for us this morning. What are the main catalysts that you see contributing to this new all-time high? Last time, we went to $3 trillion in 2021 with nothing. Just pure speculation, it felt like. If yeah. we do get spot ETF products and tokenized assets, I don't want to get too optimistic here, but possibly some US regulation as well. What do you see as the main factors for 2024 and 25? Yeah, look, we, we've done pretty well in 15 years. We just had the 15th anniversary of the white paper, right? October 31st. I always loved the fact that the white paper, which was completed obviously before October 31st, was released on Halloween, right? The day before Dia de los Muertos. And um, I just find that ironic. I mean, Satoshi had a sense of humor, right? And... What I think is amazing in 15 years, 
We've gone from zero, no adoption of the technology. No one even knew what the technology was. To to your point, we hit three trillion today. We're you know trillion and a half, a trillion and a half dollars of value from a technology that is in its infancy. Right? We are. I, I talk about this. There's the capability of something, and there's the um, potential of something. So. What is the capability of most 15-year-olds? It's not very high. I mean, we all love them. They're our kids. We, they're nice. And some of them are wonderkins. But the average 15-year-old doesn't have a lot of capability. Their potential is amazing. Okay? I, I show this picture of an 11-year-old LeBron James all the time. And I say, what would you pay for this guy's future earnings? But, oh, you can't say that. That's like, I'm not saying you're buying the person. I'm saying, how much would you pay? for this kid's future earnings. And at 11 years old, LeBron didn't look like anybody special. He looked like any other 11 year old. He wasn't even that big. And people are saying, I'm not paying for that kid. Oh, you missed a big, I, I would have paid a decent amount for that. Um, but the capability of Bitcoin today and, and other assets in the ecosystem is solid, it's good. But the potential, unbelievable. I mean, Bitcoin will become the global asset settlement layer, right? Every asset in the world will ultimately settle down onto Bitcoin. I believe that, right? Now, does that mean there won't be any other tokens? No. Does that mean there won't be any other protocols? No, right? We have five-ish, six, seven protocols that matter in the internet. And uh, we'll probably have similar numbers uh, in, in the, you know, third internet, third generation of the internet, the spatial web. Actually, I met these interesting guys last week and they wrote a book called The Spatial Web. And if you haven't read it, you, you should read it. And um, it's amazing. The, the difference between web two and, and web three is this idea of three dimensions and, and spatial connections and, and how networks work. And that's why it's so powerful because exponential growth, like the four of us right here in this, in this block, it's not four connections. It's my connection to Johnny, my connection to Mario, my connection to abs, abs to Johnny, abs to Mario, abs. You know, so there's multiples of, it's an exponential growth curve. Oh, love that chart. Absolutely, Mark. And we've been comparing the adoption of Bitcoin and the adoption of crypto overall to the adoption of the internet in the early 2000s. And what I think is so interesting about this chart is we find ourselves having to be more patient than many of our listeners would anticipate. If we compare crypto adoption to the internet, it's 1998 right now. And I'm going to do something really briefly. I'm going to pull up the Amazon all-time price chart. And you're going to see even companies like Amazon that were well-established had already done 100x, as Johnny likes to say, went from a dollar to $125 these companies were fractions, were, were pennies on the dollar when it comes to what they really were. And look at the Amazon price chart over a 20-year period. This, uh, I'm not sure if it's showing up here. Give me a second. Right here, guys. Look at 1998. If we are comparing the Amazon price chart to crypto adoption, it is 1998. You think you made a profit. You think we're seeing adoption. It took another 10 years before Amazon became what Abs it was. I mean, you can't blow it up, but in 2001... Amazon stock went down 94%. That's right. Went from $100 down to six. Yeah. Went down 94%. Now, here's the crazy thing. Amazon is a great analogy because Amazon is a infrastructure. It's a 
It's a technology. It's a network, right? Amazon, what do they make? They don't make anything. They're not a company the way we think of companies. They don't make widgets. They, they take 46 to 51% of the revenue that you as a seller sell on their platform. Just let that sink in for a second. So if you sell something for $2, they get a dollar of it. Yeah, that's right. For being the network that connects buyers and sellers. They are a search engine. So the, and the stock went down 94%. Here's the thing. It's been public for 27 years. Yep. Every single year, including this year, all 27, there's been a double digit drawdown. The average is 31%. Meaning on average, every year for 27 years, you lost a third of your money. When was the right time to sell? That would be never. Who <laughs> bought it 27 years ago and holds to today? Nobody. There's five people in the whole world. Yeah. Jeff, mom, dad, ex-wife, and Bill Miller. Yep. Bill Miller, legendary investor, okay, big Bitcoiner. His cost in Amazon is seven cents. <laughs> Unbelievable. Seven cents. He's never sold a share. Yeah. And because he believed in the technology. And the same thing is we are 2024, right? Which hasn't happened yet, is the beginning yeah. of the cycle that I've been talking about forever. You know, 54 yeah. with the mainframe, 68 with the microchip, 82 with the personal computer, 96 with the internet, 2010 with the mobile net, and 2024 with the truth net, okay? the web three, the internet of blockchains. That's the beginning. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to that 1998 chart, right? That was halfway through the beginning, right? 1996 was the internet. 2000, four years later, there's a bust. Yep. 1958, there was a bust. 1972, there was a bust. <clears throat> you had a four year period. And then there's a bust. And in that bust, there was a cover story about the internet being dead. And Paul Krugman said, it'll never be more important than a fax machine. And there was the picture of the little sock puppet from pets.com run over it with tire tracks. And Mark Andreessen, right? The guy who invented the modern internet because he invented the browser, which made it, you didn't have to be a tech geek to connect to the internet. He said, all these ideas were right. They were just early. Now, early is the euphemism for wrong, right? You're just wrong. Um, and ultimately, all of these ideas are going to be right. And we, everything we have is going to be tokenized. Everything we have is going to be settled on blockchains. Everything we do is going to be using micropayments of cryptocurrencies. All of it, but not tomorrow. And that's why it's such an exciting time to be an investor. And every time there's a correction, the right <clears throat> answer is not to run away, but to buy more. Yeah. One quick question, and then I'm kicking it right to you, Johnny. You talked about the tokenization of assets, and this was the breaking news from this morning. I think many of our listeners are excited to hear your reaction. HSBC tapped Ripple's Medico, which is a custody company that Ripple acquired this summer for $250 million, to launch security, security token custody. Now, this is really interesting. So in this fund, they're going to be offering tokenized gold, and this is the beginning. This is just like you said just the beginning of of leveraging this technology and i'm just going to read through a paragraph and i'm gonna kick it straight to you and johnny major global banking giant hsbc plans to launch institutional custody platform for tokenized securities also known as security tokens hsbc has partnered with ripple 
owned tech firm Medico to integrate its institutional platform, Harmonize, with HSBC News Custody Service for Digital Assets. The bank expects to roll out new digital asset custody service in 2024, completing its digital asset issuance platform known as HSBC Oron or H and HSBC offering tokenized physical gold, which just launched this month. These services underscore HSBC's commitment to the overall development of digital asset markets and the launch of digital asset custody came in response to institutional demand for these products. So I find this to be very interesting. Obviously, we talk about Ripple and XRP every single day, so we're excited about that aspect. But tokenization in general is really where I think this market takes the next step forward. When we see companies begin to tokenize treasuries, bonds, even things like gold onto the blockchain, that's when this market does that exponential growth that we're all anticipating. And I think it's news like this that really contributes. So I'd just like to get your initial response, and then I'll kick it to Johnny for some more specifics. Yeah, look, we've said it together Every stock, every bond, every currency, every commodity, gold is a commodity, every private business, every piece of real estate, every piece of you know fine art, okay? Everything, all of it is going to be tokenized. All of it. And, and people are like, no, that's not like, Okay. I grew up a long time ago, 100 years ago, <laughs> and we had these little black vinyl discs that we played music on. They were called record albums. And most people today have never even seen one. Right? <laughs> they listen to MP3 files, but that even went away. Those were electronic versions of the scratchy vinyl recordings. Now we stream music in Web3 and we went from analog, physical, like that physical disc. I tell the story and you guys probably, probably told it to you. I lent my foreigner album to Lucky Rodriguez in college and never gave it back. And I'm still pissed about it. And I saw him at a reunion here this summer and I was like, dude, where's my album? And I want it back. But had I had an electronic version, I could have just made a copy and sent him a copy. But the music industry doesn't like copies. They want a digital, singular, okay, trackable asset where we can have. We know exactly, like one of the things, we don't know exactly how much gold is in the vaults in a bunch of these gold ETFs and, and things like Fort Knox, how much gold's actually there. On blockchain, we have actual provenance, right? We have proof. Now there's still a physical component where you have to physically go and make sure that the gold is still sitting in, in the vault, but, but we can't duplicate the bars of gold multiple times if we put it on, on chain and it becomes a digital unique asset. And Eric Schmidt said it best. He said what Satoshi did you know, creating a better form of money. That's, that's cool. That's, that's great. But what he really did is he proved that you could create unique assets in the digital world. Big businesses are going to be built on that concept. Big, really big. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, you know, I think when Mark talked earlier about, you know, the whole Amazon thing, I think there's always this period where, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show, Mark. There's the speculative phase of something, and then there's the actual um, utility phase of something. And I got a chart here I want to pull up to show just to kind of talk. There it is. So you can see, I think, like, so we go through these interesting phases. And then we, you could literally drop this thing right on top of, you know, 
1997 and you literally can see Amazon. They all they all follow this kind of well, stuff. No, they all do. And and it's funny. So the big the big blue curve there is called an S curve. Yes. And and if you don't know what an S curve is, get the book The Great Boom Ahead this weekend and read it. It's an easy read. And you know, the guy who wrote it, I like him. He's a, he's an interesting guy. All those the the books that came after it, they're not they're not as great. Harry Dent. I mean, and but but this book, The Great Boom Ahead is amazing and it describes how an S curve works. But what's cool about the chart that Johnny just showed is that first wave, that yellow wave, uh, Tim Draper, who I think we'll talk about later, Tim calls it the IS curve. So you get this little I, this little mania around every new innovation mm. and then it peaks and it crashes and then we get what's called the trough of disillusionment. And everybody's like, oh, down in the dumps. And oh my God, it's never going to work. It's never going to happen. And then suddenly it just starts to ramp. And when you hit that knee of the curve, when you get from the early adopters to the, the middle majority, it takes 10 years to go through the first phase, right? To get the first 10%. That's a long time. 10 years is a long time. And you're just waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And, and the problem is you you you, you FOMO'd in at the peak of the eye and you lost some money and that sucks. But you got to be patient and you got to accumulate and you got to average down your cost. And, and because ultimately that, that slope, that upward slope of the blue line is going to happen. And I, I, what I love about this is you could use that not just for the singular technology, but for money, right? So for 5,000 years, Gold has been money, right? Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. Everything else that we think of as money is not money. It's currency. Currency is backed by debt, controlled by governments. It can be devalued at the stroke of a pen. And that's what happens to every currency in the history of mankind. They all get devalued down to zero. But gold for 5,000 years has stayed the same. A single ounce buys a fine person suit from a suit of armor to Cleopatra's time to a zoot suit in the twenties to Savile Row. You go to Savile Row today, you plop down the equivalent of an ounce of gold, two grand. What are you going to get? You're going to get a fine person suit. Same thing for two, for 5,000 years. Now the problem with gold is it's amazing except for two things. If I had a bar here, right? and I wanted to break it into four pieces to send to y'all, I'm pretty, I'm in okay shape for an old guy, but I could not break that bar of gold. I, I just couldn't do it. Even if I could, I couldn't stuff it in my computer to send it to you. But I hit a few buttons and I can send you Bitcoin like that. And all the Bitcoin in the world could fit right here. Now I don't have any on my phone. Don't SIM swap me. People have tried. <laughs> don't keep it here. Um, but it's portable and it's divisible. So for the next 5,000 years, Bitcoin. And so what's happening is you got a reverse S-curve of fiat. It's going like this. And you got the S-curve of crypto going like this. But the problem is in that blue line, inside that nice smooth blue line is massive volatility. Bitcoin goes to 100 and then it crashes to two. Oh my God, it's a fraud. It's going to zero. Then it goes to 1,000 and it crashes to 200. Oh my God, it's a fraud, it's going to zero. Then it goes to 10,000 and crashes back to 1,000. 
Where's it today? It's not zero. And all that volatility, if you zoom out, if you just step back and don't think about the days, don't think about the hours, don't think about the speculative booms, think about the long term. We've gone from zero to almost 800 billion in 15 years. It's fucking awesome. I mean, it's awesome. So Mark, I have a quick question. We talk a lot about Bitcoin and that fact that it is tokenized gold, right? It's an international asset. It's a store of value. A lot of people consider it a hedge against inflation, but we're talking about utility, right? You said a lot of the demand that comes for these products. Well, look at what we have here. We have tokenized physical gold being launched through an HSBC product. So the question that I have for you is, do you see more opportunity in some of these altcoins, whether it's XRP or Solana or ADA, whatever it is, is there more opportunity in some of these lower cap products? Because $10 billion could change the game for Solana. If you put $10 billion into Look, it, it, the question is it's such a great question, Abs. And the, the question is whether or not the tokenomics work. In other words, let's take Uniswap. Uniswap works, right? The DEX, the, the decentralized exchange, gets more volume on many days than Coinbase. So it works, DeFi works, but Uniswap, Uni, the token, doesn't own the DEX, doesn't share the cash flows of the DEX, doesn't get any of the fees of the DEX. So what is it? It's kind of a Pokemon card. And yes, if money goes into that and there's a, and there's a limited supply and they burn, Yes, maybe it could go up. So there are certain assets where, like people said, gold has no value because it has no yield. It's not supposed to have yield. It's not a company. It's not a business. Right. It's an asset that is a store of value. Bitcoin has no yield. It has no, it has no functionality. There's Big B Bitcoin, the network. I'm sorry, Big B Bitcoin, the, the token. And then there's Little B Bitcoin, the network. The network huge value will be the global settlement layer. Big B, it doesn't actually own the cash flows of, of the settlement layer. It is a trading sardine, right? It's like the old trading sardines versus eating sardines. You trading sardine gets passed around and traded. So it says, well, why don't you eat it? Like, oh, you don't eat that. It'd be horrible. It's been around for 10 years. It's spoiled. You don't eat that. We use so tuna on this show. Yeah, tuna. Can, uh, and the tuna. Exactly. And so the point is, the reason Bitcoin thrives as, as an asset is it has a fixed supply. It's supply to uh, its stock to flow ratio, meaning the new supply that comes on every year roughly equals it's lost or stolen. So it stays constant. And therefore, it's, it's like, I mean, not is like, it is digital gold. Okay. But that's very different than the other things that Abs is talking about. So Let's say you tokenize gold using a different ledger, using a different system. Okay, that's fine. And that technology could work. It doesn't have to necessarily be on Bitcoin. And people say, oh, no, it all has to be on Bitcoin. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But the problem is, does the token have any share of the value created by the network or the ledger that's being used? In most utility tokens, that answer is no. And that's why it gets a little fuzzy. But look, when there's confusion about that and people pour money in, what's going to happen to the price? What's going to go up?
So I, I, I say it's, it's kind of like uh, chat GPT. Everybody loves chat GPT. Open AI. Oh, it's going to change the world. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's large language models are cool when they don't hallucinate and when they actually have, you know, facts right and all that. But there's this company called <clears throat> C3 AI, which is basically a scam, right? They don't make any money. In fact, they incinerate cash, but their ticker symbol is AI. So when, oh, when ChatGPT came out, everybody thought, oh, I'm going to buy open AI. It must be AI. No, you freaking idiots. Actually do some research. No, don't just buy a ticker. But this thing went up 300%. The stock's worth zero. It's literally worth zero. The equity of that company is worth zero, but it went up a lot and people are like, oh, you're an idiot. You like, fine, you hold it. Good for you. And um, we'll see how it goes. But so let me ask you, what do you think about this specific use case for Ripple and XRP? And I love when I get your take because I think it's so much more realistic. I provide a lot of hopium. I know I'm biased when it comes to these. I have a little emotional investment. That's the rookie in me, right? I'll grow out of it, guys. But the more excited that I get, the more optimistic I get. It's articles like these that contribute to that. Ripple launches a new payment corridor in Africa, expanding their product to 27 new countries. Now, a lot of these are smaller. You may recognize Egypt or Morocco, Madagascar on here, but 27 new corridors are going to be using Ripple's on-demand liquidity product. And there's no conspiracies here, guys. It is on the XRPL and they use the XRP token to facilitate these transactions. So, so right there, so so right there is, is the perfect example of... Look, if, if all you did is use the ledger, but there was no linkage to the token. Right. Pointless. Then, then that's really great for, for Ripple, the company, right. but maybe not great for XRP owners. If we're going to start using, not we, but those, those countries are going to start using XRP as a means of making cross-border payments. Let's look, cross-border payments are one of the great scams in history. And it's, you know, every time you talk to me, you're going to come down to the Rothschilds. It's because of the Rothschilds. So they passed a treaty and it's literally like 400 years ago. I don't know the exact date, but every cross-border payment in the world has to go through two banks. Like that can't be true. That, there's just no way that could be true. And guess what? The Rothschilds own a big chunk of both of those banks. And so... That's good for them. And then these companies that built up around this Bank of International Settlements uh, system, they, like Western Union, they charge high fees. So if I sent money to my mythical mother-in-law in El Salvador, which I don't have, I have one in Oklahoma, but if she lived in El Salvador, if I sent her a dollar, she'd get 70 pesos. 30% would get lost to the banking you know, friction. Well, that's ridiculous. I could send her Bitcoin using Stripe, I mean, Strike, uh, not Stripe, Strike, uh, Jack Mahler's company, and she would get 100 pesos. And now look, I tell Jack all the time, free is the wrong cost for that service. So we need to charge a little bit, two, three, 4%, whatever. So anything less than 30 would be great yeah. and lower is better. But the, the challenge here is, any asset that eventually gets used as opposed to just being a, a pure speculative asset, like Doge. My, I, 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 I hate this thing. Like, I mean, I hate it, but here's the thing. And why do I hate it? I hate it because two rich guys bamboozled a bunch of people who have less room for error in their lives than those two guys. They could lose all of their Doge and it wouldn't change their life. 
there are many people in that ecosystem that it would it would change their life if that turned out to be zero. So I, I don't like that. But here's the thing. If, and it's capital I, capital F, if Elon or someone else adopts that token as a means of payment, whether it's, how about the micro payments for all the upgrades in your car that you're gonna have to pay for? Like, you know, now, you know, like BMW said, if you want heated seats, you're gonna have to pay for it. Like, really? Seriously? Like a monthly fee? Or, I mean, like, are, are you gonna be, am I gonna be driving my, well, actually you won't be driving, be sitting in the back seat and your car will be driving and you'll get a little message. If you would like your brakes to still work, you're gonna have to pay. That's not possible. Yeah, they, they could do that actually, but okay. I don't like that, but yeah, fine. So if those payments happen to be Doge or XRP or anything else, then suddenly that utility token, that speculative asset suddenly actually has functionality. And I don't know, I'm, I'm still of the belief that, that Bitcoin is a better solution for that because it has proof of work, which I like. It has this biggest network, which I like. It's the most secure, which I like. But that doesn't mean it has to be the only solution. So that, that's why, look, if, if you can get people using XRP for something other than just speculation, and speculation is not evil, right? All a speculator is, is the opposite side of a hedger. What is a hedger? A hedger is somebody who sells something in the market to finance their operation, like oil hedgers, right? They, they bring oil out of the ground, they sell it in the futures market, and the speculator takes the other side, okay? That, that's a speculator. So it's not an evil thing. You know, Bitcoin miners, Bitcoin miners mine, they secure the network, they sell in the futures market if they want, or in the spot market, their Bitcoin, and they use the money to pay for the electricity. So same thing with XRP. If, if it is being sold by people who are, you know, using it in some way to other people who are using it in some way, then that can make a market. If it's being sold, not, not XRP, but if, if, an, if an asset is being sold by a, 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 a founder to get liquidity, on retail, that's less good to me. Well, Mark, we just stumbled our way into ETHgate, my friend, but we got 505 <clears throat> live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the matter, but I do want to get your opinion. There's a lot of speculation, not only about the ICO that took place, but the relationships within the SEC to the Ethereum founder. So just <laughs> like to ask, are you familiar with the matter? And if so, what's your opinion? Oh yeah, look, I mean, come on. There, there are no coincidences in this world. And, and look, we could go down the, the, the rabbit hole of if you Google Satoshi Nakamoto, you'll get Intelligence Central because Satoshi actually means intelligence and Nakamoto is the surname of people from the central provinces of, of Japan. That's way too close to triple letter agencies. Um, if you look at, at the founders uh, and the backers of, of ETH, and you look at at their relationships to a certain university and people at uh, inside government. That's weird. And let, let's just go back to 
you know, our, our, I hate talking about him because he's just such an ass, but, you know, FTX, I won't even talk about him, but, but FTX, total fraud, and yet was buddy-buddy with the regulators, and they didn't go after the, the whole platform related to a lot of the tokens that they were transacting in, and yet they're, you know, pissing all over other transactions and then the bad guy turns out to be the one, you know, fraternizing with, with the enemy. So I don't know. It's weird. The whole thing is weird. Johnny, I'm going to give you a chance to ask a question and then I'll follow up. I just wanted to, you know, wrap, finish off, you know, Mark, we talked about speculation. You just said, you know, speculation isn't a bad thing. You're absolutely right. The only thing I worry about speculation is speculation, as you can see, is unsustainable. You really get sustainability when that speculative asset turns into utility and obviously we know that some of these cryptos and some of these are going to turn into real world utility in the future and some aren't and i'm curious in your take of that time frame because i've been given the examples of look how long it took you know for amazon to get to its max 3300 it took 30 years right and when i say that everybody's oh my god johnny you're crazy you know crypto is never going to take that long to to fully mature and i'm not so sure it is or isn't but i'm curious on your take or what you think the time from now where we're in this speculative state, we might be starting to, you know, start to switch into the point of developing utility. But as you know, developing technology and getting it adopted and getting the whole world to use it takes time. But I'm curious of what you think that time frame is before we get to maybe the middle of that S curve. So, so the S curve, uh, is still a, a decade away, right? I mean, the 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 the, the ramp of the S curve. Um, maybe 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 we're at the beginning. Let so me say five that. years from the middle. So we're let five t- years from the middle, but we're ten years from the end. Let, let me preface it with this: Everybody's saying that that S curve is going to move faster now because back then the internet wasn't in place and you yeah. had to have it in place. It's, so I just wanted to throw that no, in it's there. A good, you, it's, it's a good thesis. You know, it's a, it, it is a good thesis because, you know, in theory, that should have been true for web two versus web one. It should have been true for the web versus, you know, client server. But the main cycle is always 14 years. And why doesn't that go faster? Well, it's because, look, at the, at the core of everything are humans. And humans don't change, right? We have greed. We have fear. We have a small creative class. It's usually young people. Actually, it's always young people um, because young people aren't afraid of questioning the status quo. They're not, they're not, they don't, they don't have all their biases they, and, and they're not comfortable, right? I mean, if you think about, just take, a, take a hedge fund manager, right? In the early days when they're just starting, they're going for it and they're trying and they put up big numbers. Well, then when their wealth becomes a big part of the fund, are they going to use the same reckless abandon and and no, Hell no. they're going to play not to lose. And you know what happens when when you play not to lose, you just lose. And that's you know the prevent defense in football. Yeah, prevent prevent you from winning. Yeah. So the the point here is we are and it depends on on the token, it depends on the process and you know where we are cuz every every asset is different, but at the end of the day we are a decade, because I'll say the first five-ish years were more of a science project, and it was kind of the precursor before the the trend. But ultimately, 2024 is what I will argue is the beginning 
of the adoption trend. And so, you know, that, that means that four years from now, we're going to have a bust, just like from 96 to 2000, we had a bust. And that bust won't be the end. It'll actually be the beginning because in the downturns, and like we're in one now, right? 2022, bear market, recession, they didn't call it a recession, but there was a recession. 650,000 people have been laid off at the big tech companies. 650,000. That is a lot of people. Now, what happens when that happens? Some of them say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start a new company. And some of those companies become really big. And that's the nature of innovation. Innovation cycles are accelerated when you allow failure. And one of the problems of the QE era so from kind of you know 2010 to 2022, we didn't allow failure. It's like hey, I live in the People's Republic of Chapel Hill, where I live, and I joke, and it's not a joke; it's true. They don't keep score in kids' soccer. I'm like, well, why not? Well, because someone might lose. You play to win the game, Mark. That's why you play the games. Losing is good. Losing is, I mean, this the idea lesson. that you can't have losers is so antithetical to life. And, yeah. and here's the thing, and I, I, quote, I tweet this a lot. Lose, winners, winners lose more than losers. Because losers more. are so afraid of losing that they yeah. never do anything. They don't try. They never take a risk. They never buy anything. They never And they just lose. Winners lose all the time, right? They don't even remember losing. They learn from it. They do better the next time, and they win. And it's, it's like basketball, right? Michael Jordan says, look, I've taken 19,680 shots that I missed. I don't even remember taking them. And the difference between a great player and a bad player, the bad player misses a shot, goes back and commits a stupid foul because he's thinking about missing the shot. The great player, I saw this the other night, it was a, a Carolina game. Guy went up, made a stupid shot, missed, went back, played good defense, blocked the ball, stole it, made a layup. Oh, there's there's the great one himself. So, I mean, MJ was, was the master of the next play. It's always about the next play. Give me the ball the next time and I will win the game. And that's how winners think. And this, this obsession that we've created in our country that losing is bad and we have to protect people and everybody's a special snowflake – it makes me want to scream because we want everyone, we want our kids, we want our, our young people to go out and try things and build things and fail. And again, it used to be cool to quote Will Smith. Now it's not so cool because he slapped what's his name. But Will Smith has this great line, fail fast, but fail forward. And that's the key, right? Get it over with. Right, you tried it, didn't work. Go on to something else, but just keep moving forward. And it's you know the ancient wisdom of you know fall down seven, get up eight. Right, persistence and resilience are the the keys to the future. So success, there it is, right there. The primary it, example of this: if you're going to have a downfall, get it over quickly. Look at Will Smith during this video. Whoopa, as Johnny Crypto would say. That was a quick one. You know, and Mark, we have this great saying at work: we call fail yourself to success. There you because- go. You know, it's at the end of the day, 
you know, failure is nothing but a learning lesson. And what you talked about in terms of sports, you know, a lot of these sports guys, when you talk to them, you know what they say? You gotta have a short memory. You move on to the next. It's really goldfish, baby. Be a goldfish. That's be a goldfish. <laughs> Speaking of losing consistently, guys, we're gonna show you a video of Gary Gensler right now as Tim Draper was addressing the lack of regulation for crypto, but how inevitably they always come around. And also, we got 515 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. A special thank you to Mark once again for joining us this morning. Here we go, guys. We're not letting this happen. And then it keeps going. And then they say, okay, well, let's let's go after, let's sue them. Or let's go get the government. There's another thing, or, too. They adopt the technology. I think. No, no, that's at the end. They will adopt no, this technology. No, this is the last thing they do. They plant the press stories. Ripple's founders never... So I thought that was so ironic, Mark. No, look, it's, 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 and I love Tim. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what the incumbents do, right? They try to block. Look, we've talked about this before. The first phase of any innovation is the, you know, first they ignore you, right? When this started 15 years ago, a bunch of nerds and geeks with your magic internet money, go away. I, I Don't bother me. Okay, that lasted for six years, from 2009 to 2015. Then in 16, we entered the then they laugh at you phase. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that was 16 to 22. And, you know, they laugh at you like, ah, nerds and geeks playing their magic. Ah, you guys are so stupid. Get get a real job. You know, take off your black T-shirt and get a job. And so then they fight you. And this mm. is the tough part. And that's what we're in right now. So 2022 mm. to 2027, unfortunately, right? It's not going to be over tomorrow. It's going to last a long ass time. And it's, then they fight you and it's, they plant the stories and they make shit up and the propaganda all the while, what are they doing? They're adopting the technology in the back rooms, right? JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon says it's a fraud. It's a Ponzi. He's got a thousand people and JP Morgan. Working on this. <laughs> and, and his daughter's a big crypto person. I mean, it's just the whole thing is is inane. But the good news, you know what the last part of the, the quote is, right? Then you win. I will argue if you're here, we've already won, right? Mm. We've already won. Mm. But it's going to take a while before it feels like we're winning. And yeah. anyway. Johnny Crypto, I want to give you a chance to comment, but you brought up something interesting as well. You talked about how we need regula- regulation in the United States. And what seems to be consensus right now is that the SEC is overreaching. So the first question I have for you is, do you agree with that statement? We know they went after Grayscale. They went after Coinbase. Obviously, they went after Ripple. What we're what we're seeing right now is that the SEC may not even end up regulating cryptocurrencies. There are a couple different agencies fighting for jurisdiction here. So first of all, do you think the SEC has the right to regulate crypto? I think you're asking that to Mark, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want to hear Johnny's answer and then I'll answer. Okay. Sorry, I don't know if that's an appropriate question. Well, I think first, so yeah, don't put Mark on the seat here, right? He's like, got a hedge for that. Uh, you know, certainly the SEC's job is not to regulate. Okay. So their that's job true. is to, you know, enforce the rules. The Congress is supposed to create our laws, Ab. So uh, if you ask me, no, they should not be doing it. But what happens is when you have, rules that were made in you know put in place in 1943 and a technology that comes out in 1988 that don't fit and congress ain't doing their job well 
then obviously power goes to your head and you end up, you know, getting the, oh, we can control everything. And that's what you're seeing. The SEC is saying, hey, we don't have the rules. These are the rules we have, the 1943 Howey test, right? And they tried to apply it and force, <clears throat> excuse me, they tried to apply it and force fit it to something that doesn't work. But who's policing the police? This is the problem. I mean, they go in front of Congress. And yeah, you know, okay. Congress. The, I, I, yeah, that's the Johnny's. Problem. Johnny's more eloquent than I'm going to be. Go ahead, and you it, hit it's it. Not in, it's not in my best interest to criticize the three-letter agency that regulates me. So let's just be very clear that I, I have nothing negative to say about about that that organization. But but Johnny's spot on. You you can't regulate technology with 80-year-old laws. 80. The laws are 80 years old. Okay? They're, they're not applicable. And this idea that, that somehow they're okay is, is nonsensical. And so, but, but the way regulation works is regulation is designed and paid for by those who benefit from it. Let's be very clear, right? The Affordable Care Act has nothing to do with affordability and nothing to do with care. It has only to do with enriching a certain number of companies that funded the creation of the bill. The best performing stock in the United States over the last 20 years is a company called United Healthcare. This should have no profits. What do they do? They process claims. They add cost. They don't deliver health care. They're not a health care provider. They are a claims payer. And that should have no profit margin. It should be a, basically a free service. But it's one of the most profitable businesses. It has a $40 billion market cap, or maybe even more now. It's insane. That's graft. That's corruption. That's, that's horrific. But that's because the regulations are created I grew up in uh, the son of a, my dad was a, uh, a, a consultant at, at Accenture and he installed, so I lived that, that cycle I talked about, you know, he installed mainframe computers uh, in the, in the 60s and then smaller computers, you know, Vaxes with the, the microcomputer. And I grew up in Seattle and uh, then they invented the main, you know, the, the personal computer and then uh, invested in the internet way back when in, in 96. So I lived that life. But, but my dad later in life became a small cable operator and he owned cable properties. And um, there was this, this guy, John Malone, you might've heard of him, big famous investor. And uh, he didn't like the small cable operators competing with him. So what did he do? He went to Washington and paid a bunch of money and got something called the uh, Cable uh, Re-Regulation Act passed. And it basically made something called addressability. So now all these small companies had to make cable boxes too, too directional. Well, they didn't have the money to do that. They didn't make enough money. So they all went bankrupt. Who then went and bought them all? He did. And then magically, magically, the law was repealed. And he didn't <laughs> have to spend the money. So, so let's just understand that, that the regulations are being created in real time by people who are bought and paid for. Like the, the woman who happens to be at the top of 
financial regulation right now. Who are her biggest donors? Okay, financial services companies. Why does she care? Well, she only cares to pass regulation and to use hyperbole and propaganda against the technology industry that is displacing financial services. Because here's the thing, and, and we've talked about this best. In the old days, I lend Johnny a dollar, okay? And I am old as dirt, so I wrote down on my papyrus tablet that Johnny owes me a hundred bucks. He comes back a year later to pay me. And I said, Johnny, you know, I'm sorry, you owe me 220. Like, no, I only borrowed a hundred. Says right here in the book, 200. There was only one book and he had to trust me and I'm not trustworthy. So the Medici's 800 years ago came along and they borrowed this thing from the Knights Templar, literally the, the, the uh, you know, Portuguese Knights and the Portuguese monks and said, Johnny, you keep a book, Mark, you keep a book and we, the benevolent Medici's for a small fee, we'll make sure the books match. But here's the problem. I'm a smart guy. I go to the Medici and say, you know what? I'm going to change my number to 200. I'm going to give you half. They're like, oh, we like this. Yes. Okay. So Johnny comes back to pay the hundred. I say it's 200. He's like, Hey, Medici's, uh, it's supposed to be a hundred. I said, Johnny, you must've written the number down wrong. We're sorry. So blockchain comes along and says, you know what? We don't need the Medici's who are corruptible. We don't need JP Morgan. We don't need the Rothschilds. We have a independent, permanent, immutable third ledger of truth. Now we're going to replace trust with truth. Truth is better than trust. Truth is real. Truth is actual. Truth is permanent. It's immutable. There aren't like this, <laughs> the last president. It, it's, these aren't the facts. These are alternative facts. No, dude, there are facts and there are not facts. So there's no, there's truth and there's not truth. There are truth and there are lies. So now we have truth. So I don't need the Medici's or the Morgans or anybody else to decide how much Johnny and I transacted. We have truth. And so what happened to media and commerce when the internet came along, which made information bi-directional for the first time, the same thing's gonna happen to financial services. And it's as inevitable as the last transition. It's as inevitable. Anyone take a train across country lately? I haven't. I take an airplane. Anyone taking a horse-drawn carriage, you know, to to an appointment? No, I mean, I took one on a tour around Spain, actually. Um, but Mark, no. I, I do have one quick question. So a lot of people have talked about how this market's speculation-driven. Every cycle we come around, we speculate about utility, especially in communities that are banking-driven like XRP, right? When do you think, and I know we talked about the S-curve, but let's talk about these next 24 months in particular. When we look at previous Bitcoin charts, obviously Bitcoin drives the market today. Money goes into Bitcoin, circulates through the altcoins, eventually makes it to the low caps and exits the market. And we have a saying on our show, Johnny Crypto, creator of Merlin said, 90% of the money that comes into the market exits on the back end. And that's why we always talk about taking profit during this next bull run, because we're not talking about exiting the market in totality. We're talking about locking in profits on the way up and potentially using those profits to leverage during the bear it's, market. It's, it's everything you said is true, Abs, with one caveat. Each cycle leaves a residual and the highs are higher and the lows are higher. So the total market cap of the 
industry of all of the tokens rises. Now it changes, right? The top 10 change, you know, Bitcoin's at the top, then Ethereum, and then the other eight change. But at the end of the day, we are accumulating value. And yes, there is this cyclic, this cyclical wash, but that's because it's not the speculators, it's the gamblers. And here's here, let me explain. So investors, I'm an investor. I, my whole career I've been an investor. What is an investor? An investor is someone who buys assets below their fair value. Okay? That's the job of an investor, right? If an asset's worth a dollar and I can buy it for 80 cents, I will eventually make 20 cents. That's a good deal. So that's what investors do. They they buy things below fair value. So what happens is investors come in post bear markets, post crypto winter, and they add new money to buy up assets below fair value. So then in crypto spring, crypto summer, we start to migrate back towards fair value. Well, as you get to the having, and this is one of the things that was it's just mad genius. The having is code. And the code says that Bitcoin block rewards get cut in half every four years. Why does that matter? Well, if the block rewards get cut, the miners, in theory, would lose half their revenues because their electricity costs are, I mean, half their profits because their electricity costs are fixed, their machine costs are fixed. So the, what has to happen is the price has to go up. That's a double. And so, but that makes no sense. Well, no, it makes perfect sense. And so the market cap rises. I mean, the fair value rises. And then what happens? Movement. And we've talked about this and, and it's not politically correct, but guys, okay, we have in our genetic code, like if someone walks past my office here, I will look. I, our eye follows movement. And I use the example of you know, my wife and the ketchup. She says, Mark, get the ketchup. I open the fridge. Honey, there's no ketchup. She walks up, grabs the ketchup bottle. If it ain't moving, I can't see it. So, and that's just the way it is. And once the price starts moving, since 85% of people in crypto are guys, we start buying. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't good girl traders. There are. There are some amazing ones. But, but by and large, it's a... It's a movement thing. But then what happens is once you get to fair value, the investors don't buy as much because they like to buy below fair value. Now the traders come in and the traders, they don't give a crap about fair value. They want movement. They want to make money on the, on, the, on the long, on the short. But then as it starts to really move, now the speculators are coming in because the hedgers are having to sell to lock in their profits. Okay. Well, then what happens when we start to go parabolic, now the problem is, the gamblers come in mm. and the gamblers are the people, they don't know anything about anything. They just see the movement and they borrow money and buy on leverage. Margin. And when it's working, it's awesome. But then you get to the top and there's some event where some people say, Hey, wait, the emperor has no clothes. We're too high. Um, you know, they threaten regulation. Actually the last two cycles were ended by the, advent of the futures market, which allowed people to go naked short and the release of the futures ETF, which allowed more naked shorts. So you get the incumbents basically pounding down the price and everybody liquidates. And that's where the 90% of the money leaves, but that still leaves 10%. <clears throat> and so we keep going higher. Now this cycle, I, I think fair value of Bitcoin today is 50. I think it doubles to hundred next May after the halving. And so I think we'll go through that, mm -hmm. okay? Probably not 
to the double that we have in the previous peaks, right? 30 was the previous fair value. We've got 69, so it's, a, you know, 2.3. 2. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't think we'll go 2.3 this time because there's not as much leverage with FTX and those guys gone. Right. I think we go to one and a half. That's 150. If we're at 150 Bitcoin, Ethereum will be in the 3,000 and XRP will be over a dollar. And so, yes, money will follow. But unless we get more adoption and more use cases and more linkages of the cash flows to the tokens, we'll repeat the cycle. So that's Mark, a lot. You up XRP really quick. So let's just double down for our listeners here. You said $1 XRP if we reach $150,000 Bitcoin. From your perspective, are oh, you that, that I mean, that that's just a made up number off the top of my head. It'd probably be more than that. It'd probably be yeah. buck 50 or two bucks. I don't know. I mean, from your perspective, and this is totally not financial advice. We're just having a conversation here. We're talking about the future. We're looking into our crystal balls. When you look at what XRP is doing or, or is set up to do over the next 24 months, we don't talk about price action. What I'd like to talk about is what do you think is going to be a contributing factor to the increase in price? Do you see utility or the market cycles and the speculation as what will drive XRP during this cycle? So there's no question. Again, such a great question. See, what, what I love about the reason people say, why do you come on the show? Like, what do you mean, why do I come on the show? Because I like the guys. But also what I really like is, is I love people who ask great questions. We live in a society all about answers. In fact, I just, th this morning I was on this call with this guy who he invests in, in schools, right? And just a quick rant, our school system sucks. And that's mm -hmm. not a criticism of our teachers. It's not a criticism of the people who try to make schools good. It's that the school system was designed in the 1860s to produce factory workers. We don't need that anymore. We don't need to beat out of our kids creativity, problem solving, and questioning authority. What we need is all of those skills. In a knowledge economy, we need all of those skills. We don't need people to sit on a square and you know, process plastic parts in a factory. That's not what we need. And so we need to change the way we think about, about education. And so the same thing is, is true here in that it's, it's not that um, there's not a good portion of the adoption that's going to be in the, or, uh, of the price increase that's going to be in the new adoption. But a whole bunch of it is going to be that we're in this, this cycle. So we are in this cycle. There's going to be a big Bitcoin ETF. BlackRock's going to get approved. I think only BlackRock. Other people think others too. I hope 21 shares and, and uh, um, Bitwise, because I own a piece of both those companies. But um, I think it'll be BlackRock. And that's going to put a lot of money into Bitcoin, which means that price is going to go up. That will push all assets up. But what will really determine how sustainable and how powerful the move is for XRP is increased use case adoption, not just people using Ripple, the company as a consultant, but actually using the token for different use cases. And the more that that happens, the better. And, and that's a great example. Hey, Mark, I got a question to follow up for you on that one. So thinking about, as we know now, Larry Fink is saying, you know, that Crypto is a flight to safety and security now, right? You want to talk about, I don't know if you've heard of wrestling, WWE. I don't know if you guys watch it down there. Oh, come on. All right, I so you're Hulk Hogan. Come on. Know, me too. Was I was wrestling favorite. before wrestling was cool, <clears throat> my friend. What you going to do, brother? And I love the Hulkster. 
And, you know, one of the things that I found most impressive about this clip here was if you want to talk about a WWE heel turn, Larry went from, you know, hating crypto was the worst thing since sliced bread and JP Morgan firing people to all of a sudden now it's a flight to safety. No, Johnny, you're, you're so spot on the eight. I mean, sorry, six years ago, this guy and look, Larry Fink, whether you love him or hate him is one of the most powerful people in the world. Of course. Full stop, right? He runs the largest asset manager in the world, almost 10 trillion with a T dollars of assets. He's, he's a, he's a mega brain. He's, he's, he's amazing. Again, you don't have to like him, but, but whatever. But here's the thing. Six years ago, he said that Bitcoin is an index of money laundering. Okay. Which is a silly statement, right? If you're going to launder money, I'll give you two choices. You can take a sacco money, sacco dollars, and Cash. leave them on a, a park bench and somebody takes them and you influence them that way. Or you can send them on chain some, some digital assets. and, and <laughs> right, right to my house. <laughs> so you get, now, but the crazy part is the reason he said it's an index of money laundering because he, he had inside knowledge. So he's part of, of you know, the, the system. And here's what happens. In America today, we send money to Ukraine, okay? The government sends money to Ukraine. They were sending it, this is a year ago, to FTX. Okay? They were sending it to FTX. And then FTX, FTX was sending it to Alameda on chain, yeah. on chain. So this is not like, Mark, you're just making up shit. This is real, okay? Alameda, I'm sorry, FTX sends it to Alameda. A Alameda sends it to 200 shell companies owned solely by SBF, quote unquote investments, but literally shell companies. And then those companies made contributions to political parties. If you looked up the word money laundering, that, that was what it would say, right? That, that, that is money laundering. So, so he had inside knowledge of what money laundering really was. Well, the fact is now he's saying, this asset is a flight to safety like gold and treasuries and people are going to buy it because they're afraid and you should buy our ETF. This is a direct quote. You should buy our ETF, our Bitcoin ETF, um, because the government can devalue your currency. Now, just let that hang for a second, okay? Um, I've talked about this forever, right? The dollar... Right, which we stole from the Rothschilds. It was called the Reichsdollar in the Netherlands. We called it the dollar because we were tight with the Rothschilds in the 1700s. And uh, we then from 1776 to 1913, a dollar was worth a dollar. It had a couple wiggles around the free banking era and the Civil War, but, but it was worth a dollar. And then in 1913, we borrowed the idea from the Rothschilds and the Bank of England and you know the Netherlands National Bank. A central bank. And we created a central bank of our own. And a central bank, by the way, is not federal, nor has any reserves. So the Fed has no, it's not, it's not a government agency and doesn't have any reserves. It doesn't have any money. It literally is a collection of, of ownership of wealthy families, most of them European, frighteningly. And Mark, they- and where I really, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just curious. Like, the more I go down the money rabbit hole, the more I get into the occult, right? And we're not going to go down the rabbit hole this morning. But what I find so interesting about what's happening in America is there's a globalist narrative taking place within our borders. And that 
if anybody knows anything about the occult knows that is the underlying global motivation here. Oh, look, abs, we could go down the whole we so there look, pull up, literally pull up a map of Washington, DC sometime, a a, 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 a Google Maps from top down and draw lines between mm -hmm. the monuments and see what shape you get. So yeah. just do that sometime. And you can, you know, look at everything from, you know, the all-seeing eye on the back of our currency, which I mean, come on. Um, so yeah, the nice Templar have been in charge of everything for, you know, better part of a thousand years. And, and that's all fine. There you go. There it is. It's funny. It's a, it's a pentagram. It's funny how that works. Um, but, and I didn't make that up. Right. I mean, that, that's just real. I mean, that, that is, those are physical monuments. And actually, if you go to any large city in the world, you will find the Washington Monument. You're like, why is there a Washington Monument in Portugal? Why is there a Washington Monument in Spain? Why is there a Washington Monument in the Middle East? Why is there, a I don't know, coincidence? They all just had the same architect? I don't know. So, but none of that matters, right? We have this amazing life, right? We're talking to each other in real time in HD because this amazing technology has been funded by all of the innovation. All the so yes, there's some bad stuff that, that goes on but life is awesome. Now, it sucks for people in war-torn areas right now. What's going on in the Gaza Strip is horrific. I don't care which side you're on. It's horrific. And that's bad. But we actually have the lowest amount of that globally in history, which is good. So, um, but it doesn't mean everything's fixed, but man, um, if we went down the rabbit hole of who's in charge and look up the date on when the WEF was incorporated, it's kind of an interesting date. And um, you're like, well, what does that do with anything? What's, what is the WEF? Who is Klaus Schwab? You know, why is that linked to anything? Well, look at the date on 1971. Look at the date. Uh, it's interesting. 1971. What else happened in 1971? So who was, who was president in 1971? Richard Nixon. What did, what did Nixon do? He closed the gold window and we converted to fiat currency. Huh. That, that is... That's a coincidence. That's a coincidence. And here's the thing. You know, somebody said that, that Mark knows his, his conspiracies. Remember, it's not a conspiracy if it's true. That's right. <laughs> it's only a conspiracy if it's not true. Truth is an absolute defense. And... The word conspiracy was made up post the JFK assassination to quell people questioning how a president of the United States could actually be assassinated. So, um, again, there were many coincidences that day, uh, many coincidences since, you know, Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King all shot within, you know, 18 months of each other. Probably just a coincidence. Um Oh, I, yes. And Larry, he's on the board at WEF. That, that's, I'm sure that is a coincidence. Yeah. I'm sure. And here's my homework assignment for everybody listening. And just because this is fun. This weekend, uh, go down the Bilderberg rabbit hole. Just And do it on DuckDuckGo or someplace where they don't track you. But um, uh, go that's down the rabbit hole of the Bilderbergs. It's kind of that's fun. A fascinating one. Hey, Mark, I want to bring it back to the, the question. So with, with the thing coming in, right. And saying now it's a flight to safety and security, 
Bitcoin ETF we know is coming soon. The question I have for you is, last time we saw in the bull run, we saw uh, a pump to about $3 trillion. So it was about an additional $2 trillion that came from somewhere. I don't know if it yep. came from the COVID, you know, from the C word pumping that we had printing the money, which I don't think we're going to see too much of the printing press this year. So my question to you is, in this next run, especially now with potentially the legitimization of crypto and Bitcoin, mm -hmm. if the BTC approval, not if, because we know it's coming and we know BlackRock's going to get it, no question. Yep. My question to you is, how, what do you anticipate for the amount of, you know, how high do you think? Yeah, how high can we go? So a couple of things, yeah. a couple of things are important. So we didn't get $3 trillion in. Because remember, price is a liar. Price is the amount that two people agree to sell a small amount of something. And so what happens in, in a stock, right? They raise a, a, a million dollars and, and then the price starts to go up. Well, the price is influenced by people buying 100 shares here and there. The company is actually not getting more money. So the market cap of a business really has nothing to do with the underlying cash. It's it's in theory a discounted stream of future cash flows that they're supposed to distribute to shareholders. But in the end, you look at Tesla stock, there's no justification. They, 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 if, even if they sold every car in the world, which they won't, you can't get to their price. So the right. price, that $3 trillion number was just ephemeral in the sense yeah. that the asset, like Bitcoin, I said, was at 69000 when it should have been at 30000 and it was because people were selling small amounts and the bulk of it was just sitting hodling. Mm -hmm. So how much came in? You know, we're, we're probably at least half a trillion of money that's actually exchanged real money. Fiat into okay. crypto. And okay. I don't know if that number is exactly right. Um, and so in this next run, to answer your question in two ways, I think the ETF alone is going to convert 300 billion into wow. Bitcoin. Okay. From fiat. 300 billion. Wow. I think will convert from fiat to Bitcoin. Okay. Nice. Let's double that as people buy altcoins and stuff. So that's 600 billion. So that's basically doubling the base. Yep. Okay. Of where we are today. That's just on the ETF. Okay. That doesn't include any FOMO or any other stuff or any use cases like for XRP and, and the like. So let's say, so that's, that doubles us to 1.2 trillion. Let's bump that to one and a half. So what's the multiplier? So mm. if the multiplier's three-ish. What we saw from last time. Yeah, Usually the same time. multiplier. Okay, so fair that, enough. It's a four and a half. Four and a half. Rounded up to five. I... I think, I think five's easy. Easy. Wow. Easy. Okay. This is a great. That's exciting. Hold on, Johnny. I got a perfect question for Mark. So right. we broke this down throughout the week and we found a very interesting video. Every single crypto bull run, a certain percentage of the market flows through all of the altcoins. So Ethereum typically gets up to about 22%. XRP reached as high as 17%. You just said that you believe in totality, the market could reach 5 trillion at its peak, even if it's for just a minute. Yeah. 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 If we use those estimates and we correlate that to what we can anticipate for many of these projects, that means you're thinking at some point, we're going to see a trillion dollar Ethereum in total market cap, maybe a six to $800 billion XRP, just using the cycles and the way the money moves through the market. So 
Do you, does that make sense to you? How do you feel about that? Um, it, it, it makes perfect sense with one caveat. Bitcoin dominance is going to continue to rise because it's going to be that gateway drug. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so maybe that 22% slips to 18, maybe that 17 slips to 13, but yeah. And let's say, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say we only get to 4 trillion. Still a big number, but it's still a big number. And And ultimately, right? Again, well, you, you know, I, I'm I'm the bearish guy. There's this guy Murray Stahl who runs a firm called Horizon Kinetics. And look, I think Bitcoin easily, like easily, gets to gold's monetary value, which is about five trillion, just Bitcoin. So then you add everything else, and let's call it let's call it eight to ten. Okay, I think that's easy. Like that's walk in the park. It's baked in the cake. It's it's going to happen. Murray makes me seem bearish because he's like, no, 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 Mark. Bitcoin's going to replace all global currency, all money. That's a hundred trillion. And I can't argue with the man. I mean, the man makes very cogent arguments about why ultimately, because Bitcoin is a superior form of money, meaning it is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability and it's divisible and it's portable and it's digital, it's hard to argue against him that it totally displaces gold as money. And therefore, at every central bank, it sits at the base layer of money. And then he says, by reverse Gresham's law, Gresham's law says that bad money crowds out good. So that's why you see places like Argentinian, Zimbabwe and Venezuela, all the wealth goes to the tippy top, the all-seeing eye right? And the people at the top, that's how it works. That's why it has the little pyramid. And because get the money at the tippy top. Mm-hmm. And so if the reverse Gresham's law happened and good money crowds out bad, and we get to this egalitarian, like incredible place that Jimmy Song talks about where, look, if you take fiat as your compensation, you're a slave. And I know it's a politically charged word. Nobody likes it, but you're a slave. What does that mean? Well, you're a slave, meaning that the government can take your value away from you through inflation, through this thing they tell you is good for you. Well, no, they're stealing your wealth and giving it to the people at the top. So if you hold Bitcoin, they can't do that because it's a deflationary asset. Now you're not a slave. Now you're unlocking human creativity and potential that's never been unlocked before because we're all working slave jobs. How much is that worth? What's the potential? Of humanity being freed from fiat servitude. Mark, do you think a a solution to a future where we're going to have central, we're going to have digital currencies, we're going to have central bank digital currencies if we trend in this, in the direction we're looking at now, me and Johnny, Johnny says it every day, crypto bad, CBDC good. That's the narrative they're pushing. Yeah. One of the things I like about XRP, and sorry to bring the conversation back to XRP, but it's just fascinating. If we have a world where China has a central bank digital currency and Brazil has a central bank digital currency. And there are products like XRP, which are actually an aggregate for all. That's where I think XRP somehow is providing freedom. Now you brought up the the inflation narrative. How do you feel about that narrative in a, in a centralized world, a decentralized currency like XRP, which is an aggregate for all CBDCs could provide that solution for Americans like us. So 
I I have to run here in a minute, but but here's the thing. We've talked about this before. I I I actually don't believe that we're going to get to the Nirvana state maybe ever, but but certainly not soon. So we're going to have this hybrid state that you described, which is Bitcoin will exist as a refuge for the FU money, right? The mm-hmm. money that you take out of the fiat system to protect you and your family against the ravages of inflation, right? That, that, that will exist. And the governments are not going to give up their reign of terror very easily. So they're going to adopt the technology as you know, Larry and Gary were talking about. And so they're going to use central bank digital currencies. There are some linkages, shall we say, between Brad and the Ripple people and some of the BIS crowd. So that I would I would then handicap it that they might lean in that direction. And again, as long as you can get the utility of the asset to share in some of the revenues and not have it all go to the government, then the value will certainly rise. But I do think we're going to live in a um, in a multipolar world where the poles are, you know, this this Nirvana asset, which is Bitcoin, and these other central bank assets. Because look, governments will we will we eventually reach the nation stateless, borderless, global metaverse so maybe yeah. someday right but yeah, maybe- someday someday but like way 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 out and and it's going to be a fight and there's probably going to be wars between now and then and and look incumbents don't like to be disrupted disruptors like to disrupt and so that natural tension is going to exist and people are going to keep innovating and people are going to keep pushing the boundaries but that's the fight. in a world in a world dominated by agencies with threats of violence. Mm. Like look, I, I say things that I probably shouldn't say, and people say, "Why do you say that?" And it was funny. I was doing one, something like this one day, and I was going down my th- and literally the the lights went out, and people were like, <laughs> "Oh my god, the black hats are coming for you." I'm like, "Look, if they come for me, they come for me." But speech is supposed to be protected. But I. I want the Nirvana future, right? I I want, I don't want people like Maduro to be able to impoverish an entire nation. Because he didn't do it alone. No, he didn't do it alone. He had a lot of help from the US government and a whole bunch of other people, but they basically impoverished a whole nation. And there are kids starving that, that pisses me off and it didn't have to happen. But if those some of those people were able to buy Dash or Monero or Bitcoin or whatever, they could have protected some portion of their wealth. And, and that's awesome. And, I, I, and I, I cheer for that future. In terms of the other parts of, of the digitization, like replacing Swift with the XRP ledger, I can get behind that. I mean, I can get behind it. I, I can't make it happen, but I can certainly get behind it. Um, so 
And this is what I, I love what you brought up. You talked about the connections to the BIS and I just found out, or I just wanted to show you this. Brad Garlinghouse is also a member of the World Economic Forum, which we just talked about previously. So it's not what you know, it's who you know. But Johnny, I'm going to kick it to you before we say goodbye to Mark. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much time Mark has left, so we're probably at the end. So two minutes. I got two minutes. minutes. All right, and I'll, we'll, we'll save it for the next time. Uh, but I want to say, Mark, it's always great to have you as part of the show. I got one quick question. If we got two minutes, Mark, Go we're, for it. we're talking about, we talked a little bit about the occult, and this is a fun question to end on, but we know there's always a plan for three world wars. And the question that I have for you is, do you believe we're undergoing that process? Because all the narratives are aligning, the one world currency, the everything you've outlined, floor is yours. I, so I hope not, but but look, um, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Um, Long-term cycles tend to happen whether we like it or not. Um, humans are going to human. We repeat the same mistakes. It takes three generations, which is a ninety-year big cycle. We always have a depression after that. We all, you know, there's a reason that shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations exists in forty-six languages. My favorite is in, in India, they say grandpa rode an elephant, father rides a horse and son rides a burrow. So it takes three generations to forget. And so these, these long cycles, these 90 year cycles, and you know, it, the 1940s and the 2030s, it's like, I don't, I don't like that. So, um, and you go back, you know, 1860s before that with, with, you know, the civil war. So, I, I hope not. Um, and I do, I, I struggle with two camps on this abs. And again, we could talk all day about it. One is I believe that we're smarter because of technology and because people have more information at their fingertips and they're more well-read and we don't have as many, you know, totally impoverished and, and illiterate people. The world's better, right? On the other hand, we have this technology that foments divisiveness and taking sides and it and it manipulates us like literally with serotonin and dopamine and 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 like a friend of mine worked at, at Facebook. He said written on the top of every board inside Facebook headquarters the word addiction. That's a scary thing, right? That that they're, they're, these companies are thinking about how to get us to consume their materials and 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 therefore they're going to serve us up stuff that you know gets us toward that end and you know one little thing on that so if you go back and you look at um you know nazi symbolism right and i you know, say the word nazi it's a bad word they didn't invent it i was in portugal right and on the ground, in stone, so it's been there for 500 years, which is longer than the Nazis, okay, was a black eagle look like right off a Nazi tank. Hmm. Yeah. So that eagle has been around for a long time and it's gone through power structures and been adopted and, and even, the, even the beer is their, their logo is this eagle. I'm like, isn't that the Nazi eagle? Or no, no, the Nazis stole it from the people who stole it from who stole. So it's been around for 500 years. And, you know, the four leaf clover and the four 
pieces of swastika and all there's all kinds of stuff that's all linked um anyway so but but I, so much. I look i i'm an optimist and i said i have a great life and i'm great i'm grateful every day but i do i do worry that that there are there are real risks and and look we've been pretty good we invented nuclear bombs and no one's ever really used them I mean, we we, we used God. the atomic, but we didn't. You know, we haven't had we haven't had the nuclear. The nuke would be ugly, and and that's good. And so, but but there's definitely stuff happening that gets propagandized, and if you read it on the internet, it must be true. Like, don't do that. Ask if it's really true, and question everything you see. Like I said, you ask great questions. We all need to ask better questions. We all need to question everything. And, and not just accept what people tell us because they told us. <clears throat> and yeah, I, here, I'll leave you with this one thing. So this guy, William Drezewitz. So second homework assignment. If you've never read Solitude and Leadership, which is a speech that Drezewitz gave to the pleb class uh, at the Army Academy uh, 20 years ago, it's the best six pages you'll ever read on leadership, decision-making, thoughtfulness. And in there, one of the things he talks about is if you ask anyone, what do you think about X? The first thing out of their mouth is parroting something someone else said. Hmm. Not because they're a bad person. It's just, it's just easy, right? Oh, I just heard this first thing out of their mouth. What should come out of your mouth is what you think. Hmm. You should take what you heard, think about it, compare it to other things you've heard, formulate a thought process it and then offer that as your view don't just parrot me someone else's propaganda but that's hard it's hard to think it's easy to repeat to regret so, anyway thank I, you so much Mark. i can, always- I can talk to you guys all afternoon i love it and uh I appreciate what you guys do for for your ecosystem i appreciate you inviting me into your house and uh I uh, I learn something every time I come on with you guys. So thanks. You're always well, invited, Mark. And it's like they say, only 5% of people are original thinkers. The rest are doing exactly what you're saying. And we got 521 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to give a special thank you to Mark this morning for making time for us. We're going to close this thing out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Mark. Thank you to Mario. And thank you to Johnny Crypto himself. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, rise. See you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great day. See you guys. Bye, Mark. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Let's go.